Well, if you'll stand with me this morning as we read the word of the Lord to us from Psalm 119, starting in verse 145. This is the word of the Lord to us. I cried with all my heart, Answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. I cry to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Lord, I pray that as the psalmist does in this passage, we would cry out to you. That we would not leave your presence until we hear your answer. Or that we would be intercessors, not just popcorn prayers, Father. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be lived in prayer, constantly calling out to you. Because, Lord, we need your salvation. Not just in the hard times, but at all times. Lord, we pray you would guide us this morning. Give us hearts of prayer Lord, help us to be surrendered to you. Lord, cause your presence to be in this place this morning. I pray you would give me clarity and uh, wisdom as I share what I believe you've given me this morning. I pray our ears, all of our ears would be open to hear your word. Even our children, Lord, that they would begin to question their motives and their hearts and begin to see their need for you. Lord, I pray your guidance, your conviction, your encouragement over us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. As we start this section, we have to remember what the psalmist has talked about in the past. Because the psalmist hasn't just placed this section of the psalm outside of a context of a life surrendered to the Lord. And that is the key, I believe, here. I believe this is the prayer of a surrendered soul. And that's the title of my message this morning. The prayer of a surrendered soul. We saw the psalmist, right? We saw him crying out to God, talking about meditating on the Word of God and desiring to meditate on the Word of God. Not just to meditate, but to obey. Then we saw him talk about wholehearted devotion to the Lord and making a commitment to be devoted to the Lord. It wasn't just saying, yeah, I'm going to commit my life to the Lord. No, he was making a covenant, a a commitment And so when we begin to read this section, the Kof section of Psalm 119, we see the prayer of a man who has surrendered 
his whole strength to the Lord. He's not relying on those outside. He's not relying on this world. He is relying wholeheartedly on the Lord. He has given himself to the Lord, and so he will not turn to other means to find his hope. So he starts out, he says, I cried. And this isn't like, you know, I, a tear fell from my eye. No, this is wholehearted crying. This is with all that was within him. It's like an ugly cry, if you know what I'm talking about. Just a mourning and almost like, I, I can't imagine a, a worse time, but when someone's spouse dies, that, that kind of crying, just uncontrollable crying. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He, he's not just crying to get attention. Right? It's not a, he's not putting on a show. Oh, Lord, I, I wish you would help me. Oh, and what's he doing behind, behind the back? Uh, hey, uh, can you give me that? And No, he's, he is with all of his being. He is sincerely crying out to the Lord with all of his heart. It says, with all, not portions. And this word all, translated all, is also the word that's translated whole, complete, all of my heart. This is from his innermost being. He is not putting on a show. Not like the mourners when Jesus came to Jairus' daughter's house. Remember, they were, they were being paid to mourn, and they were wailing and crying, but the moment Jesus said, get out of here, they're like, okay, see ya. They're like, no, you're crazy. Right? When, then they left. They, they were done crying. Why? Because they were professional criers. That was their, their, their job. They were acting the whole time. They were literally hypocrite, hypocrites, because that's what, that's what an actor was, a hypocrite. In the Greek times, we like to use hypocrite today to describe many things, but in reality, hypocrites were actors. The psalmist is not acting, he is crying out from all that is within him. Does this character or does this characterize our prayer? Do our prayers come from all that's within us? Or is it just, well, I'm going to do this before I go do what I'm going to do anyways? But do we pray, Lord, bless this. Um, I haven't asked you if I should be doing it, but I'm going to go ahead and just pray and hope that you give me what I, I want. Now the psalmist obviously when we read later on in this passage, we see that he is, he's not just crying about everyday things, but the fact that his prayer in life is, is characterized by this, I don't think it just applies to wicked men like we see in verse 150 of this passage. Right? He says, those who follow after wickedness draw near. To whom? To him. Right? They're, they're coming after him. 
So he's in a place of desperation, obviously, but his desperation is a cry to God, not to Egypt, right? That's how many kings went to Egypt to get help or to Assyria or to whomever the the powerhouse in the area was to deliver them instead of to God. Many times that happened. Right? Even the last king tried to go to Egypt despite the fact that Jeremiah told them not to. They wouldn't obey. So, he is not crying out to someone he doesn't believe in. He is crying out to the Lord, right? He says, answer me, O Lord! He's not like, Lord, if you'll answer me, it'll be okay. No, he's crying out with all his heart. He's going to the Lord with all that he has. He knows that the only way that he will find what he desires is if the Lord answers him. He is not going to go find an answer anywhere else. So his prayer is characterized by wholehearted crying to God. So it's wholehearted and it's to the Lord. It's not to other places. That's the cry of one whose soul has been surrendered to the Lord. Does that characterize our prayer life? When we go to God in prayer, do we do it with all our heart and are we truly praying to Him? Are we truly going to Him saying, Lord, You need to answer me. I don't want what I want. I want what You say. In this first verse, we also see a motive for his prayer. A motive for his prayer. And we see it here. He says, I, I will observe your statutes. Look, Lord, when you answer me, I'm going to do what you say. I'm not going to say, oh, well, that's not the answer I wanted, so I'm just going to hit the road. I'm going to go down to to so-and-so place and get, get, get what I want another way. No, he's saying, Lord, when you speak, I will observe, or I will keep what you say. He realizes that if God answers, he must listen. I was reading... Yesterday, just in my personal time, the story of Saul going to the witch at Endor. It's interesting, the reason he goes there is because he's so afraid of the Philistine army. His heart is trembling, it says. So he goes to the witch, who, by the way, he's banned from the land, and she's like, 
I'm not going to answer you because remember Saul, if, if I answer this, then Saul's going to kill me because obviously he's disguised himself. And he convinces her to bring up Samuel and the moment she sees him, she knows that this is Saul, not some other guy. It's interesting, when he's speaking to Samuel, he says, God doesn't hear me anymore. He doesn't respond to me. So I, I decided to come and see if I could get you to speak to me. And you know what Samuel, Samuel's response was? I'm going to read it exactly because I thought it was really interesting. Samuel says in uh, 1 Samuel 28, verse 16, he says, When then do, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? Like, why are you coming to me to ask when God won't speak to you? I only spoke to you because God spoke through me to you. Right? Samuel's saying, I'm on the same side as God. And yet you are coming to me as though I will answer you differently than the Lord. You know he is your adversary now. And we end up, in, in the end, Samuel tells him, you are going to die tomorrow. And I, I started asking myself a question. Saul still went out to battle when he knew what was going to happen. Why would he do that? Maybe he thought he could change what was going to happen. I don't know. I, I still, it still boggles my mind. If you knew the future, why would you continue to do that? But it just shows, <coughs> here, the psalmist is so different. Right? Because when God answers him... He does what he is going to do, right? He says, I will, this is future tense, I will do what your testimonies say. I'm going to observe them. I'm going to keep them. I am your servant, Lord. I am surrendered to your will. My white flag is up. I haven't taken it down. You are still Lord of my life. I am under your reign, and I will do what you Say. Do we approach prayer with that kind of humility? With a desire to obey whatever God says to do? I have to admit, that's not always my heart. Sometimes it's difficult to be like, well, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. But that's essentially what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, Lord, I not only do I have a track record of this, God knows that, not only do I have a track record of observing your statutes, but I will continue to do that in the future, and especially if you answer, as you answer me. The psalmist is looking for a word from the Lord, not from someone else. He wants to hear from God. Because he knows that if he hears from God, then he will know what is right and what he should do.
This is a man who trusts God. Before he gets an answer, he's already telling the Lord, I will observe your testimonies. We've all heard the stories of people that say, well, if you get me out of this situation, then God, I'll do this. I'll follow you. Sometimes those are true. They end up being, that person comes to Christ, God spares them, but how many times have we heard that that very statement and nothing ever changed? Because they had not set out to obey God when He spoke. When He moved. So I I question myself and, and us this morning, what do we want from the Lord? Do we want His Word? Do we want Him to actually speak to our situation? Or do we want Him to speak what we want to hear? Is it possible that God has already spoken, but He didn't say what we wanted to hear, so we rejected His Word, like Saul? This is a man who is seeking to be near the Lord. Right? Because he saw what happened with Saul. Saul experienced God's rejection. Right? Saul rejected God's word and God rejected him. And the psalmist is sure and focused on being near the Lord. He wants to have a conversation with the Lord. He wants to hear the voice of the Lord. And so he is going to cry with all his heart because he needs the word of the Lord. Nothing more, nothing less. He continues. It's almost like he says the same thing, but he he says it differently. He says, I cried to you. Who? The Lord. I've cried to you, Lord. What did he cry? Save me. So he's not only asking for a word from the Lord, he's asking God to move on his behalf. To save him, again, I believe, from those wicked ones who are drawing near to him. And we could say the same about any situation we're going through. Is that our cry? Save me. Or are we saying, Lord, can you make this work so that I can do it my way? Are we out there with Frank Sinatra just singing, I did it my way? And then hoping God will... Do we, do we treat God like many professional athletes we give all the glory to God and then we live lives as though he doesn't exist that's well that's what we say they say you know if God hadn't helped me I wouldn't be here but the whole time their whole life is not directed towards serving God it's pride in themselves It amazes me how our world views the God of the Bible. 
And unfortunately, it's because of the way celebrities talk about God. They, they treat God as like this celestial Santa Claus who just gives them their ability to do things, but they don't have to actually live a life that pleases God. It's no wonder when people meet Christians, they're confused because they're like, well, you're not like Oprah. Well, no kidding. Oprah's not a believer, but she acts like she's a Christian sometimes. She talks like, unfortunately, some who claim Christ. But the psalmist, again, is he's crying. This isn't the only time. He's, he's crying four times. Right? He cried with all his heart. He cried to you, to God, not to other forces. And his cry is, save me. I can't do it on my own. And why in the world would the psalmist want to save him? So that he can go live in sin? No. God forbid, right, as as Paul said in the book of Romans. David isn't going to God saying, save me so I can live in the freedom that salvation brings. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, His object in seeking deliverance was that he might be free to fulfill his religion and carry out every ordinance of the Lord. He would be a free man that he might be at liberty to serve the Lord. I'll just quote that last half again. He would be a free man that he might be at liberty to serve the Lord. Is that why we want to be saved? Are we just wanting to be saved so that we can get possessions, power, fame, fortune, popularity? Why do we want to be saved? Is it because we realize we're wicked wretches? That we are like the wicked ones who are drawing near if God does not save us? If we think we can save ourselves, we are already lost. The psalmist is crying out, save me, because he knows there's nothing in himself that will save him from these wicked ones. He cannot do it on his own. And again, we see his motivation, right? In 145, we see that he's going to observe the statutes of God. And then in 146, it's almost like a replay. And he says, I shall keep your testimonies. Again, this is looking to the future. Lord, when you save me, I will be able to keep your testimonies. I won't be able to if you don't.
He's crying out to be saved so that he can be holy, set apart to the Lord. He has surrendered his will to the Lord. And so his prayer is to be saved so that he can glorify God. He hasn't been called, he isn't asking for salvation for sin to sin, but salvation so that he can be holy. When we're in the midst of trial, are we crying out because we want to glorify God or because we don't like the pain we're going through? The psalmist, he was suffering. We don't know who these wicked ones were directly. We could infer from Saul to his son Absalom. Who knows when this was written? Whomever these people were, I'm sure it was causing great trial in his life. And he's, he's I would say this is probably older in his age because of verse 152. But despite that, the psalmist is turning to the Lord for salvation not only for himself, but for the glory of God. Because he realizes that when God moves, it empowers him to live a life for him. He's not being selfish by asking the Lord to save him. He is honoring God. And that's my question for us today. Does our prayer seek to honor God or seek to just get deliverance from whatever we're going through or whomever is coming against us. Not that God doesn't desire to set us free, but is the reason and the motivation a sincere love for God or is it a sincere love for self? If our souls have been surrendered to the Lord, if we have wholeheartedly, whole-mindedly surrendered ourselves to the Lord, then our main purpose as Christians should be to honor Him. That's why the psalmist is asking God to answer him. That's why he's asking God to save him, because God will get the glory in both those situations. These two verses are convicting to me because I know how often when I pray, I'm doing it for selfish reasons. Right? Like, I might be thinking, let's say I'm going through a physical trial. I just want to be free from the pain and the, uh, the suffering. And, and I might be well, God, if, if you don't answer, then people will think I'm a fool. That's not a reason. No. The reason is, God, I want people to know that you are true to your word. I don't care what, or I shouldn't, I, don't, I should not care why peop, that people think I'm a fool for following God. What I should care is that he gets the glory in the midst of my trial and 
in the resolution of my trial. Do I desire that in my life? We see this cry, this this vocalization of need for an answer from God, for salvation from the Lord. So we're, we're kind of seeing the character, characteristics of this type of prayer. But what about the frequency of this prayer? Like how often this prayer happens? Well, we see that in 147 and 148. He starts, he says, I rise before dawn and I cry for help. Again, he's crying. He's not, God, can you just help me? I'll see you later today. No, he's crying out to God. He's rising before dawn. He needs the Lord to move. So much so that it's the first thing he does in the morning. When we need the Lord, is that does that characterize our prayer? Are we waking up first thing or are we scrolling our phones or are we laying in bed just moaning and wallowing in whatever we're going through like a physical trial I know myself I've I've allowed wallowing to be my morning routine when I'm not feeling well rather than going to the Lord in prayer if I'm honest But that's not what the psalmist is saying. He is rising up before dawn and crying out to the Lord for help. What would make someone rise up before dawn and cry for help? Do you think he believes that God will actually answer him? Or is he just, you know, maybe this will work, hopefully... Yes, he believes, right? Because he says in the second half, I wait for your words. Or this word wait can be translated hope. I hope for your words. He's hoping that God will answer. Not as, well, maybe God will answer hope. He's actually hoping. Trusting that God will answer. Right? He's, he's waiting for God's words. Right, He's going all the way back to 145. Answer me, O Lord. And he's saying, I cry out for your help in the morning before the sun rises, and I wait for your words. He's not just saying, Lord, um, just be with me today. Please deliver me. See you later. No, he's spending time waiting and listening for the Lord's answer.
But he's not just hoping that God will answer, he's hoping in the word of God that has already been spoken. So it's a two-pronged hope. It's a hope that God will answer because he knows God has answered in the past. Because he knows God's word. He knows the promises of God. And because he knows the promises of God, he can trust that God will answer him when he cries for help. Do we approach prayer in this way? Are we not like getting up before dawn to cry out to God, but are we actually waiting on the Lord to hear His reply? Are we truly faithfully expecting God to speak in response to our prayers? Or do we treat prayer as kind of like this tradition that we pray and hope, you know, we just pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do we just pray the Lord's Prayer and then we're done? Like, well, it's just kind of like, we treat it kind of like a lucky charm. I feel like some, in some cases that's how prayer is. It, I'm going to pray for this before I do it and just hope that God will be with it. We're not any different than the pagans if that's, if that's the way we, we treat prayer. The psalmist is a surrendered soul. God is his only hope. Right? Because he's surrendered to God. He is wholehearted, whole-minded gods. His whole being has been given to God. And so God is the only one who can save him and the only one who can direct his life. Is it possible that There are areas of our lives that haven't been surrendered to the Lord, and that is enabling the devil to have a stronghold in our prayer life. It's possible. It could be many different things. But if our lives are not surrendered to the Lord then the characteristics of this kind of prayer, the desire that the psalmist has here to rise before dawn and cry for help and to truly wait on the Lord and to truly hope in the Lord to answer will not be true in our lives. I can think of multiple times in my life one way or another. Many times where my prayer was fervent and hopeful. And I didn't know that the, the answer came, but in some situations someone said, did you pray for me? Because this happened, and God just really changed my heart. I'm like, yeah. Or other times where I pray and I don't feel like anything has happened. Like, what in the world is going on? It's amazing when we cry with all our heart, the difference in our lives, how more impactful that prayer is. Not that God God is not wanting us to, He's not looking for how often you pray, how, um, how long you pray, how beautiful the words you pray are. He's looking for sincerity, true sincerity, 
true faith in Him. Right? You look at Jesus when He was in the temple and, and the, the Pharisee was praying. The Pharisee didn't actually care about God answering prayer. He was just doing it for public display. But the publican, he was so different. He, was, he wasn't using fancy words. He wasn't praying some long, elaborate prayer. He wanted relationship with God. And God heard him. The psalmist doesn't just pray, though, in the morning before the sun rises. Look at what it says in 148. He says, My eyes anticipate the night watches. So he can go to sleep? Is that why he wait, waits for the night watches? So in, in Jewish culture, there were three watches in the night. Late evening, mid, midnight, or the mid-time of the night, and then what would be called morning. First, second, third watch. So he's looking to these times. Why? So he can get his, get his rest? No. What does it say? He says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your words. Isn't that beautiful? He's not waiting for the night to come so that he can just go to sleep. He's waiting for these moments in the night so that he can meditate on God's Word. Now, why is this important in prayer? Spurgeon said this, about meditating on the Word. He says, and I've added this, meditation is the fuel which sustains the flame of prayer. Meditation is the fuel which sustains the flame of prayer. Why would that be? Why would meditating on God's Word Fan the flame of prayer. Right, so he's, he's, obviously, he's probably praying in the day, but specifically he's talking about praying in the morning before the, the day starts because he has to work too. He's, it's not like he's just uh, praying all the time because he has, he's a monk in a monastery. No, he is a real person living in a real world and has to work. So he can't wait till the evening to get home so that he can meditate on God's Word. And then in the morning, he's going to get up before the sun rises and pray in faith, hoping in the Word, waiting on the Word of the Lord. So what does the word, how does the Word fan the flame of prayer? It gives us promises of God to hold on to. Right? Have you ever been reading through like the Old Testament or even the New? And you're just reading and then suddenly it's like the Lord speaks specifically to your situation. Or you see 
faith released and God answer that prayer. You, he, you read a promise of God and it quickens your faith. Well, that's why meditating on the Word of God is so important for us as believers. It will increase our faith. It will cultivate hope within us. Trust that God can transform our hearts, our lives, that He can save us, that He will speak to us. The psalmist realizes this. That's why he loves the Word of God, right? Every word he uses, testimonies, judgments, the law of God, it's all describing the Word that he has. And he delights in it because the more he reads it, the more he's meditating on it, the more he feels his faith growing. And he feels power in his prayer and fervency in his prayer because he knows, God, you said this. You said that you would bless your people if they obeyed your commands. You said that by, for us, by your stripes you're healed. So I can trust that. You said this or whatever. You said that you would command your angels charge over us. You said that you would be with us no matter where we go until the end of the age. When we had the the men's gathering that some of you were able to come to, there's one part of it that I really love, and it was, it was a circuit of four groups praying together, some praying, some reading the Word. But some of these pas- a lot of these passages were faith-building passages, promises of God that are just printed out for the group, each individual to read. And I was just thinking, the first time I did that in Colorado and then when we did it together, it was amazing how... Just reading those promises just increased my faith for when I was in the prayer group that was a part of that, those, that, the, the rotation of men. And I'm just, it just reminded me when I was reading this and preparing for this, just how important it is for us as believers to not just read the word, but to meditate on it, to really think about what the word says. To mull it over, kind of like a cow chews its cud. Just think about it for a while and then put it in your second stomach and then pull back out and think about it again. Um, Because the more we meditate on God's Word, I believe the more real it becomes for us. The, the, The greater, by the Holy Spirit... As we think on those things, that the Holy Spirit quickens to us the, the true meaning of those verses to our hearts. And it increases our faith and our hope that God will answer our prayers. So in this verse, these first four verses, we see the cry of David. The cry of a surrendered soul in prayer to the Lord. And we see how that cry is an all-enveloping lifestyle. It's not just a once-in-a-while thing. He is 
crying out in the morning before he rises, before others rise, before the sun rises. And in the evening, he can't wait to get home so that he can get his eyes on the Word of God and, and, and meditate on the Word of God. And then we see in 149, we see a transition to God's move. What God does. Starting in verse 149, he says, Hear my voice. He's not just mumbling under his breath. He's not just praying inside. He is praying with his voice. Hear my voice. Why? Because I deserve it? No. He doesn't say, Lord, hear my voice because I... um, I did. I did. Paid my tithes this week. I uh, I, I brought my offerings to the the temple. Um, I gave money to the poor. I I I defeated your enemies in battle. No, that, that's not what the psalmist says. He says, "Hear my voice according to your loving kindness." This again is this covenant love of the Lord, the the Hesed love of of God. This covenant-keeping love of God. According to your promises, God, is essentially what he's saying. Remember when you covenanted with me, Lord? Hear my voice according to that word. Not according to my perfection. Not according to my righteousness, but according to your promises. See, this is where the way the world prays and the way the church prays should be different. The world prays, Lord, if, if you do this, and I'll, I'll, I'll straighten up my life and I'll, I'll live for you. Right? That's a self-righteous attitude. I, I, can, I can be holy if, if you just get me out of this situation. That's not what the psalmist is praying. He's praying, God, I can't get myself out of this situation, and your word says that you love me, so I'm going to rely on that and trust, Lord, that you will hear me because of that. Because he goes on in 149, he says, Revive me or or bring me back to life. Give me life. Not based on his merit. He says, revive me, O Lord, according to your, ju- your ordinances, according to your will, according to your judgments, what you have written down. He wants to bring, be brought back to life according to God's will. Again, this goes back to what he's, what he's praying in 145 and 146. He's praying for God to answer him and save him so that he can serve the Lord. Not so that he can serve himself. So he's asking God to do this in his loving kindness according to what he desires for, that, for his life. Is that how we approach prayer to the Lord? Are we asking God to move according to what He says or according to our desires in our lives? The way we want things 
to turn out. Again, this is, this is a, for me, it's convicting. Because oftentimes I want God to move in a particular way in my life because I think that's what's best. But the psalmist is saying, I want you to revive me according to your best judgment. According to the way that you know is best for me. And that's not easy. It takes trust. It takes belief that God will do what is best for us. Do we truly believe that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord? If we do, then we we have to say, God, I say this, I'm kind of scared because I don't know what you're going to do in my life, but I want your will to be done in my life. I want to be truly living and on fire for you, and so I will do whatever it takes. Just show me, Lord. Speak to me. Save me from myself. Are we willing to be humiliated because God tells us to do something that the world thinks is ridiculous? Are we willing to be mocked and even killed for the name of Christ? I know we don't deal with that here necessarily, but at some point it could come, especially in my generation and my kids' generation. But if God's will is for us to suffer and die for Christ's name in our nation, are we willing to lay it all down? If that is God's way and will, are we willing to do that? A surrendered soul says, yes, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to have the strength in myself, but Lord, you can. You can give me what I need to overcome. Because those who follow after wickedness are drawing near to me. Right? 150. They are far. Right? They're drawing near to me, but they're far from your law. They are wicked men. They have no desire to follow you. It's so easy in my life to see the wicked drawing near and forget Psalm 151, or verse 151 here. They are far from the law, but guess what? What does the psalmist say? You are near, O Lord. That is hope, right? The psalmist has hope because he knows. He senses God's presence with him. Why? Because he's praying to the Lord with all his heart. Because he's spending time in the morning praying and crying out to God. And because in the evening he's spending time in God's Word. He's meditating. God's Word is his life. God is his life. And because of that, he senses God's presence with him. Even in the midst of trial. Even when the wicked ones are drawing near. Even when he's crying with all his heart. He is breaking down and he's like, God, I don't know where you are. Answer me. He still knows that God is with him. 
And not only that, He knows that all the commandments of God are truth. How can He know such things? How can He truly believe this? How is it possible that the psalmist in the midst of trial is sure that God is with him and is sure that God's commands are true? Because when he says the word true here, it's not just true as in the sense of this, what he says is true, but it's trustworthy. It's constant. It is faithful. It is unchanging. This is who our God is. He is never changing. How does the psalmist know this? And this is why I believe this is older in age. He may have some gray hair. Maybe even losing hair. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say how much hair David had when he died. But he could have been a baldy. But it says... Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. You know why he knows that God is with him? You know why he knows that God's commandments are trustworthy? Because from a young age, from ancient times, that he established them forever. He, at a young age, began to follow God. And now that he's older, he has seen the truthfulness of God's testimonies. He's seen God's work in his life, and he can trust that God will do what he said he would do. Now, we may be early on in our our walk with the Lord, but that doesn't mean that God's testimonies aren't true. If we put God to the test, not testing God to see if if He's lying to us, but if we take His word and say, God, I'm going to trust you, then we will be able to, at the end of our lives, to say like the psalmist, I know that you've established these words forever. These are trustworthy words. They're unchanging. They do not fade away. And I know that you're near with me, that you're with me because it doesn't matter how hard this time is. The problem is, many in the church settle for bubbles. You say, well, bubbles, what is, what's that? What happens to bubbles? You, you blow, blow bubbles. Who, who likes bubbles here? None of my kids like bubbles. That's surprising. (laughs) Bubbles. They're pretty up in the sky, right? You blow bubbles. How long do those last? Maybe a second or two? Yeah, they pop. They're not long-lasting. Unfortunately, in the church, we settle for bubbles. We don't settle for what is... We don't actually hold on for what is everlasting. And what lasts forever. We're immature often in the church because we want we want the we want to feel good. But God is saying to us as a church, hold on, don't give up. Cry out to me because what I give will last forever. 
My truth is trustworthy. It will not change like those bubbles that are going to last for a moment and be gone. Bubbles are nice, but they don't last. God's Word, a relationship with Him, not only is joy-filled and peaceful, but it actually lasts forever. It'll cost you everything, but it's worth it. It's worth it because He is worth it. Because He is worthy of all our lives. The question is, have we truly surrendered our soul to the point where our prayers resemble the prayers of the psalmist? Are we truly trusting God in our life for all of our needs, in all of our lives? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us your people in every aspect of our lives. Lord, expose areas where we have not surrendered to your will, where we have become selfish, seeking our own good and not your will. Lord, we do not want to be destitute of hope. We want to know you. We want to trust you. And I know, Lord, that when we are diligent in prayer, we will experience that. Father, give us hearts for one another to cry out in, in prayer for one another and for uh, our church and for your glory here in Shelbyville. Guide our thoughts. Lord, give us souls that are surrendered wholly to you. Purify us and cleanse us, Lord, according to your will, according to your loving kindness. Save us, Lord, because we desire to serve you in all that you say. Lord, fill us afresh with your spirit, we pray, for your glory and your honor. Be with us this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.